Thank you, Greg, and thank you, Mercy Road Church. I fell asleep in the first service, but I want Greg and Beth. Um, they model the message. Uh, one of the reasons I don't like to talk about what all white people believe, all black people, all Latinos, is because there are exceptions. Those people live in a neighborhood, hear gunshots, see people shot. They can move out, but they chose to move in and to stay there. And that touches my heart. So as I speak to you this morning, I have a ministry called Grace Relations. You can find us on the website, gracerelations.net. Crossroads Bible College is merged with the College of Biblical Studies. The College of Biblical Studies home is in Houston, but we now have a location here in, in um, Indianapolis and in Fort Wayne. We try to live out the message that I'm going to speak to you. And we don't want to just talk about it, teach about it. But we've got a diverse uh, faculty, we've got a divorce board, we've got a, 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 a divorce, uh, diverse student body, and we try to model out. Nobody has arrived. We're on a journey, but we're trying to live out this message that I want to speak to you about this morning, that is Grace Relations. My wife, Sharon, and I have been married for 46 years. It'll be 47 next month. We have six children, amen, six children, four grandchildren. We thank God for his grace. I want to tell you about a little bit about my life real quickly. I was born in Kissimmee, Florida. That was before Disney World got down there. It was segregated. It was Jim Crow. Blacks eat on that side of the restaurant. Whites go around the back. Blacks go up the top of the look at a movie with wooden chairs. And whites go down on the bottom and they had cushion chairs, so on and so forth. But, but, but when I was a, a young man growing up down there, my parents began to become migrant workers. They would come up north to New York and pick crops all summer. Then around November, December, we'd go back to Florida. Man, I was a snowbird. I didn't know that. People have two houses, you know, go up and down like that. I mean, so, so that was my life then. Now, I never knew my biological father, and he was a guy, what you call a darker hue. I didn't know him until he was on his deathbed. But there was a father figure in my life through my elementary school years. He and my mom weren't married, and um, they actually split ways, and then my mom and I, we were up in New York, and she decided to stay up year-round. And then uh, she got married. He, that was the guy of the darker hue also. And there I was, and I was in 1968 when Martin Luther King was assassinated. Robert Kennedy was assassinated. We had all kinds of protests and things going on around the country. I was in a school at that time that was probably about 95% white. I had served on the student council when I was a junior. I was president of my class when I was a sophomore, vice president of student council as a, as a junior, and then um, president of student council as a senior. I played three varsity sports, letter than three varsity sports, but my life, I was looking for something to give me meaning, to make me whole, and I hadn't found it. And yet, I was headed off to a to secular school. I had applied to three uh, state colleges, had got scholarships to three state colleges. And then one night I came from a, 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 a senior event and I came to my house and there were r r ribbons, yellow ribbons all around my house. So I tried to approach it. Police came and they told me that there'd been an altercation that night. You see, the guy that had been my father figure in my elementary school years, he had come up, took me out fishing. My mom's married and he says to me, what do you think about you and you, uh, me and your mom getting back together. Well, I'm 18 years old. I'm thinking, man, she's married, but I say that's between you and my mom. Well, anyway, he came to the house. He got an altercation with my stepfather. My stepfather shot and killed him. 
So there I was, a senior in high school. All my dreams are gone. Everything's falling apart. And then on a Monday night, two men of the light of hue came to my house and presented the gospel of Jesus Christ to me. I got saved that night. On a Monday night, March of 1968, I've never been the same since. I mean, Jesus Christ changed my life. Listen, I was the first black person to get baptized in that church. Everybody, all white folk, I was... My mother said, you look like a fly in a bowl of milk. I told her, Mom, I'm just a drop of chocolate. Give me time, I color them all. But, um, but, but I was in there, and I just wanted Bible, 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 Bible. I tried to get in the latest missionary society. I said, if y'all got Bible in here, that's where I want to be. Well, God saved me, and then in all the midst of that stuff that's going on, God began to move on my heart and challenged me about going to a Bible college down in Pennsylvania. And I'm not joking. I got on my knees. I prayed to God, and I said, God, you sure you want me to go to that Bible college? The Ku Klux Klan probably down in those hills. But if you want me to go, I go. I went, and they were there, by the way. But um, I went down to that Bible college. They had two African-Americans there when I got there. One, she finished out her year, and she didn't come back. So it was me and some fellows from Jamaica. That was all the color they had. And so I was there in that school, and I experienced some things. Now, I'm talking about a Bible college. I'm not talking about some secular university. I remember being in practice for soccer. We had three practices a day. My noon practice, I'm going back to my dorm and I'm walking. And then there's this fellow of the light of Hugh. He's going the opposite way. He stops me, looks straight in my eyes and said, is that the way an N sweats? And I looked at him and I thought, I'm going to show you how an N fights. But the Lord got a hold of my heart. So I got past that one. You know what I mean? But, but while I'm there at that, at that college, I had a, a, an individual that in high school, he played, we played basketball together. He was behind me a grade. And um, outstanding athlete, I s- invited him to a youth rally. came to a youth rally, got saved. We were going to youth camps and stuff like that. All these white girls were swarming around him because he was such a dynamic athlete. The youth director didn't say anything to the white girls, but pulled him aside and told him he shouldn't be sitting next to those white girls. He comes to me and he want to know what this is all about. I said, I don't know, man. I mean, we aren't here for girls. We're here for, 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 for Christ. Just don't worry about it. Well, he had said that God had called him to come to Bible college and play basketball with me. And then that summer before he was supposed to come, black power advocates got a hold of him. And they said Christianity is a white man's religion. He looked back on this experience of what he was told about the white girl. So he decided, hey, I'm, hey, I'm going to secular college. I'm going to play professional ball. He, got, he went to college. He was there one month, broke his foot, dropped out of school, went to the city, got on drugs, beat up some woman, wound up in prison. A friend of mine got a hold of me and said, hey, you need to go visit him. He's going to get out of prison. That was two, two three-hour drive. I didn't have a car. So I said, no, I, you know, I'll write him a letter. I don't know to this day whether he got that letter. 13 days after he got out of prison, he and a gal, I think they were married, got in a fight, had a gun, shot, and killed him. I have a lot of guilt about that. What if I'd went? What if I'd have talked to him? What if the man wouldn't have told him to stay away from the white girls? And then I began to ask myself the question, this whole thing about interracial marriage. See, my wife, she's of the light of hue, too. And when people tell me, oh, white people hate black people or racist, something like that, I say, oh, I just look at my wife. She's all right. <laughs> but I began to study the Bible. I wanted to go to the Bible, find out what the Bible had to say about this. So I wrote my first paper on prejudice and the people of God because the Bible doesn't have anything negative to say against interracial marriage. It has something to say about interfaith marriage. 
And, and then I wrote my first book on that same subject because I was experiencing these, these things in the Christian realm that was confusing me as it related to the Word of God. And I remember my wife, she was a year behind me, and, and, and we were thinking that God was bringing us together when I was a senior. And, and she was actually here in Indianapolis doing her student teaching at Heritage Christian School. She got a call from the school, the college, and the college said, if you and Charles get married, you're going to have to leave your teaching, come back and drop out of school. Well, we decided to pray about that and wait until she graduated. And then when she graduated, I started, we started a, a church in the inner city in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And then there were some students that was part of that church. They were all white. Administration met with all of those students and said, if Charles and Sharon get married, you're going to have to choose between the church or the college. If you're going to stay in the church, you got to drop out of college. If you stay in the college, you got to leave the church. Well, these students... To their credit, all of them met together and they decided, hey, God ordained a local church. It didn't ordain a, a college. This is our local church. We ain't moving. So the college changed and just said no new people can be admitted. And I applied to the seminary twice and rejected. And the third time I was accepted. We're going through this stuff. It brought me to a crisis of faith. And I began to ask God, so what am I supposed to do? Lord, I mean, I mean, I don't know how am I supposed to respond to all of this stuff. I said, um, uh, you know, I can go to a, 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 a church with people of the lighter hue and we can talk about people of the darker hue, how they're lazy and they're criminals and, and, and all of this. And their, their lives are falling apart. And, and I can just keep my mouth shut and be okay. Or I can go to a church of the darker hue and they can talk about people of the lighter hue. They're all racist. You can't trust them. They just want to take over and all this stuff. And I keep my mouth shut and I'll be okay. And then Jesus gave me a novel uh, concept. He said, why don't you just try following Jesus? And that's where my life began to change because that became my God in life. And what I'm talking about when I talk about grace relations, God's reconciliation at Christ's expense. What am I seeking to do through grace relations? Number one, I am talking about discipleship. Discipleship. That is, the Bible says in Matthew 22, that we are to love the Lord our God with all our whole heart, soul, and mind, and love our neighbors ourselves. And what I want people to understand when I'm speaking about race or anything else, I want you to understand that my chief goal for Christians is that we would grow to love God with our whole heart, soul, and mind, and love our neighbor as ourselves. I'm talking about Christian discipleship, not just a change in a few laws. And, and, and when it comes to edification, when it comes to the second one is edification, I want to encourage saints. So many saints are so confused in this environment. They're so, so paralyzed. They're so fearful. They won't do anything. Well, I want to say to you that that's of the devil. The devil paralyzes you so that you won't do anything. God wants you to do something. You say, well, if I do something, I may do something wrong. If you do anything, you're going to do something wrong. You need humility to be able to accept the fact that when you're wrong, to correct it and move forward. But I want to, I want to encourage, I want the mouths of my, words of my mouth to encourage you. And then I want to push a manifestation, something the world can see. We, we want to talk. We want to get on Twitter. We want to argue. We want to fight. We want to blame. We want to shame. But what, what the world wants to see is what Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, and that you have love one for another. We, listen, the law, Martin Luther King Jr. said it well. The law cannot make you love me, but it can stop you from lynching me. The law is a restrainer that is too low a bar for believers. 
We have to step up to love, being transformed by the grace of God, so that we love one another for the glory of God. And then evangelization. I'm trying to depopulate hell. I don't know whether you heard about it. Sometimes we say, you know, heaven is not a segregated place. But I'll let you in on one you probably have not heard. Neither is hell. We're going to get together somewhere. And so we have the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can say to sinners, repent of your sins, come to Christ. And they're saved by the grace of God. And when you're saved, you're my brother and my sister. And we're going to go to heaven together. And then that's I just try to glorify God. I seek to do this by advocating what I call respectful conversations. Enough of this shame and blame stuff and putting one another down, arguing, fussing, fighting. As Christians, we need to have us and us conversation. What is good for you? What is good for me? What is good for the glory of God? How can we work together to advance the kingdom of God? That's the nature of loving collaboration. We need to figure out ways to work together to advance the cause of Christ and righteousness and biblical justice. And then the third thing here is God-empowered change. I want to see lives changed by the grace of God. I want to see people saved. I want, I want to see people that, that uh, their lives have been just radically invaded by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've, we've, I've done national conferences. I've created classes. I've got six six session trainings. I've been doing this thing. We were doing those national conferences. Started back in 1980-something. I forgot when it was now so long ago. But um, I was asked to respond to, well, how did I feel watching George Floyd? Practically being murdered while being filmed. I can't breathe. You know, a lot of emotions come with that. There are emotions of unbelief. There are emotions of how can this be in 2020? There's a sense of anger that crops up. And there's a cry for justice. But I want to say to you that with all the unrest and everything that we've got, I have a message for the church, not the world. And that message is that as believers, we, there's one race and one blood. And that's the title of a book I got. You can buy it after this service. But one race, one blood. Now, I want to say something. Because when people hear that, one race, one blood, they, they say, yeah, that one race, one blood. Yeah, you go back to Genesis 1. We were created in the image of God. All of us come from Adam and Eve. I like people trying to check their, their DNA and their tree and all that stuff, family tree and ancestry tree, and go, oh, I thought I was from Europe, but now I see I'm, ah, fuck it. If you save your money, give it to me. You came from Adam and Eve, okay? <laughs> if you go back far enough, that's what you're going to find. We, 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 we are one race, one human race, but here's the catch. We are one sinful human race. So where does racism come from? Where does mistreatment from one another come from? It comes from the fact that we are sinful. Listen, we need a biblical, we need a biblical worldview of dealing with this thing. As with life, we're one human race, one sinful human race, and we have one answer, and his name is Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. He rose again for we repent of our sins and be saved by the glory of God. 
Now, I am so excited about that. Listen, you get messed up on that, you mess up on everything. I was on a, a radio talk show once and some white uh, Aryan called in and he wouldn't even talk to me, he talked to the host of the show. We know where Adam came from. Or we know where white people came from, excuse me. He came from Adam. We don't even know where black people came from. So what did your guest got to say about that? I said, the only thing I got to say about that, the Bible is clear in Romans 5. Wherefore is by one man, that man was Adam. Sin entered the world and death passed upon all men, ended all of sin. If only white people came from Adam, then only white people are sinners. Hey, didn't like that one. The issue is that we all came from Adam. We're all sinners, and there's a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. One race, one blood. And when we, when, we, when we practice what the Bible calls respect of persons or partiality, that is sin. And every human being has dignity because they were created in the image of God, regardless of their color, their economic uh, position in life or their education and all of that. What gives them dignity is that they were created in the image of God. And when we attack that dignity, we attack God himself. So one race, one blood. We are a one human race, one sinful human race. And but those of us who are saved have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2 and 11 through 22. I'm running through this quick. By the way, I didn't tell y'all, tell them in the first service, but I have two versions of every sermon I preach. One is the black man's version, the other one is the white man's version. Depending on what time you give me, that's what version you get. So you, you get, you're getting the white man's version, okay? We'll get you out of here on time. But, 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 but in Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible tells us that uh, in Christ, by his blood, we have been made near. That is Gentile. If you're not a Jew, you are a Gentile. God didn't go into all this stuff for salvation, all the different ethnicities and all that. you either Jew or Gentile, period. And so there, there we have been brought near as Gentiles. We have, we have been brought into the family of God. We have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And I like to tell people, the church is not seeking to make reconciliation. Reconciliation was made at the cross. We're trying to live it out, according to Ephesians 4. Christ is our peace, according to Ephesians 2, 14 through 16. Through Christ, we have equal access to the Father. We can pray, uh, Ephesians 2, 17 and 18. We're fellow citizens, according to Ephesians 2.19. We're family, according to Ephesians 2.19. And we are the temple of God. The people of God is the temple of God. I mean, God's church is not a building. God's church is his people. He dwells in our midst. And, and you and I need to, need to grab that and get serious about that, that God has made us one. The devil is trying to divide us. The devil, he... He, he is a liar. He is a deceiver. He sows discord amongst the brethren. He is a false accuser. And sometimes I think we're so caught up in satanic methods of communication that we miss one another. You and I need the word of God. And so we are, we are redeemed through the blood of Christ and our relationships are guided by the word of God. Uh, some people have said to me, oh, man, this is just a, just a fad. You're just jumping on some secular fad, just following the world, talking about race and all that stuff. No, no, no. Oneness in, the Christ, oneness in Christ, according to Ephesians 3, 1 through 6, was the brainchild of God. He thought of that idea. I didn't. And by the way, let me just throw this out there for, for, for y'all, too. 
So, 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 so people talk about, well, well, there's black. And I say there's not a black race or a white race. There is a black cultural group and a white cultural group. Well, why is that? I mean, how come, tell me how come my wife is what culture calls white. Our kids are what culture call black. How come they can't be white? Well, you go check it out. Call it one drop rule. One drop of black blood makes you black. That started in the South and is still used today. Down to 130 seconds. What it was created for was to protect the so-called purity of the white race. That's why slave owners who impregnated their slaves, that's, that child never became the family of the slave owner. They were always pushed down to the lower race. So even that designation has a racist history to it. But nevertheless, we use it. And you and I got to deal with it. It was used for oppression and, and um and uh, unequal treatment of people. So, so you and I need to realize that no, 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 the church unity is the brain ch- brainchild of God and that um, ethnic reconciliation is the ministry of the church according to Ephesians 3, 7 through 9. That it's through the church that God wants to make this known. It's manifold wisdom. Now, I, I come to all that and we come to all this stuff today and we say, all right, all right, all right, all right. But, 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 what do we do? I mean, the world's on fire. There's protests and, and there's pushes for this law to be changed and, and, and the police to be defunded and, and all these things. I mean, as a church, where do, we, where do we fit into all of this stuff? Well, as a church, the way we fit into it is, number one, we realize that we have been reconciled. Number two, we realize that we got it by revelation. That is, we go to the Word of God to find out what God wants us to do. I tell people all the time, you can't know the mind of God unless you, you can't know the will of God unless you know the mind of God, and you can't know the mind of God unless you know the Word of God. Some of us spend so much time looking at TV, the breaking news, on social media. Every, we are everywhere except in the Bible. You and I need to spend time in the Bible. You need to spend more time in the Bible having a conversation with God, seeing that your heart is humble, seeing that your speech is correct according to the Scripture, seeing that you live what God wants you to live, biblical justice, and not get so intertwined with the world you don't even know what the Word has to say. Us and us conversations. In the Word of God, loving one another, I have a message called Color Me Love. Martin Luther King prayed that his children would not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I want you to know that God does not judge by the color of your skin, period. No matter who you are, what color you are, God is not judging you by the color of your skin. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but when we repent of our sins and come to Christ, we're saved by the grace of God. And I want to say to you, I want to say to you this morning, I'm fine with my skin. You might not like it, but I don't really care. God loves it. I have been saved by the grace of God and dwelt by the Spirit of God, been guided by the Word of God, advancing the kingdom of God with the people of God for the glory of God. What I'm concerned about is what God knows about me and what somebody on social media don't even met me before saying about me. You and I need to get that straight. I mean, I had white people come up to me, hey, you ever wish you were white? I say, you go to the beach and buy lotion. 
and sit in the sun. I'm the model, baby. I'm fine in my skin, okay? Now, I don't matter. I understand the racist things here and there. I've experienced some. My kids have experienced them and, 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 and all of that stuff. But um, I want to tell you something. I get my value not about what you think of me, but what God knows of me. And I come to you not as a black man needing you to bow down and, and tell me, oh, I'm so sorry I did you this way and that way. And most of it ain't did me no way. You don't even know me. I come to you as a man of God, speaking to the people of God about loving God and loving our neighbor. I come to you as a person teaching the word of God, wanting to be transformed by it myself and wanting you to be transformed by it. I want us to have some us and us conversations. I want you to have my back. I want to have your back as long as we're right biblically. If we're wrong biblically, then we're wrong, period. And so the church, we need to come together. We need to come together and stop arguing and fussing with one another. We need to come together and ask ourselves, how can we work together for the glory of God? We need to listen to one another. We need to weep with one another. We need to seek to understand one another. We need to study some history. We need to look at things. Our people tell me right now, there ain't no such thing as structural racism. I mean, we got a fair country. I said, well, what President Trump talking about? He just told you that your, your F, FBI is all screwed up. He just told you your government's all screwed up. How come you want conservative judges? Can you tell me how come in this land we've got one constitution, one of the brightest minds in the, in the country when it comes to law, looks at that constitution, looks at the president, and says he has committed impeachable offenses? Another judge, another lawyer comes up, looks at the same constitution, smart guy, knows, reads the constitution. There's no impeachable uh, conduct here. Now, you and I couldn't even afford one of those lawyers. But they're looking at the same document. How come we fight for certain things? We fight for certain things because we want the system to rule in a way that we think what's right. Now, there's no doubt about it. America's system, I told you, the one-drop rule wasn't made for equality. We just have been told about the passing of uh, John Lewis. And this is one thing, by the way, I, with young folk, I don't, I don't get this. Young folk, man, nothing changed, nothing changed. It's like it always was. You have not gone through what John Lewis went through. That's an insult to people who have sacrificed to get us to where we are. We have made progress. But we need to make some more progress. In the church, we need to be united across ethnic and, and racial boundaries as we make progress. Color me love. John 13, 34, Jesus said, new commandment, I give unto you that you love one another. Now that's, that is a command, that is a command, not a suggestion. You may be bragging about you don't commit adultery, but I'm asking you this question, do you love? Because this is a command. In fact, all the commandments are tied up in this. You love the Lord your God and love thy neighbor as yourself. I'm so glad that God didn't command for me to change the color of my skin. He didn't command that me change my gender. He didn't command for me to change my ethnicity. No, God commanded, Jesus himself commanded that I love. And you and I say, what does love look like? He said, as I have loved you. How did, he, how did Christ love us? 
He loved us first. Christ didn't sit around and wait for us to come to him. He came for us. He got, he left heaven, a good neighborhood, and came down to the Psalms called the world. He lived a sinner's life, died on the cross as a sinner. Why? Because he loved us. You and I must not sit back and wait for the world to answer these questions. We must take the initiative amongst one another for the glory of God. Christ didn't only love us first, he loved us most. He gave his life. He who never sinned became sin for us. He became one of us that he might die for us, that he might save us. Reconciliation is a costly thing. Cost Christ his life. And for you and I to fight through the sin and deception of the devil that tries to rip us apart and tear us apart, it's going to cost you something. You got to be committed to this because it's right, not because it's popular. And we'll stick with it whether the laws affirm it or not. He loved us most. And he loved us to life. What is eternal life? Jesus said, this is eternal life that they might know you, the only true God, to know him, to have intimacy with fellowship with him. It's not enough to say, I give you a little money, but stay on your side of the neighborhood. I don't want you moving in my area. I don't want you in my house for supper. I don't want, I don't want, I, listen, I don't want you to, to suffer these injustices. I changed some laws, but I don't want to know you. No, Christians, we want to know one another. The thing that makes Christianity so great is I know God. Commune with him. And then I just want you to see that he says, by this shall all men know, will know that you're my disciples. It's not our words that's going to change the world. It's our lives. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. It's not about the cross you put around your neck or the shingle you hang out in front of your church. Not about your fine theology and all of that. It's your love one for another. Beloved, we need, we, need, we, we need to get serious about that. I'm, I'm so glad for what you were doing here at Mercy Road. I want to encourage you with it. But, 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 but don't get all hung up on just fighting and arguing and fussing with one another. Fall on your knees before God. Speak to God. Ask him to examine your heart. Get in his word every day. Let him show you your pride. Let him show you, show you your, 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 where you're off track and you're unloving. Let him change your life, transform you into the image of Christ, and then come together and walk together and weep together and live together for the glory of God. I want to end this with an illustration that breaks the color lines. Back in 1998, our son was going to Heritage Christian School. He was in the basketball practice. He ran into a wall and broke his neck. I was out on the West Coast in uh, Seattle, Washington, preaching. I got a phone call. I told my son he broke his neck. I called the hospital. My wife was there. They gave me her. She was crying, said, Matt's been hurt. It doesn't look good. I went and told the people where I was preaching in the seminary. My son's broken his neck. They prayed. Now, every one of them was of the light of hue. I didn't care what color they were. I just wanted to know, could they get through to heaven? That night, I got a 1 a.m. Uh, one morning, a 1 a.m. flight out. I went to the airport. Some pastors came. They were all of the darker hue. I didn't care what color they were. I just wanted to know, could they get to heaven? And, and then I got on the plane, and I'm flying back, and I'm sitting in the seat, and I'm crying, and I'm weeping to God, saying, God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't have enough money to take care of my son. He's broken his neck. I don't know what my wife is doing. I don't know how I'm going to handle this. And God 
brought me back to Romans 12, 1 and 2 and said, you gave me your life as a living sacrifice. Let's leave it there. I'll take care of it. I had peace in my heart. I got back here to Indianapolis, went to the hospital to see my son and front page, I'm at about Indianapolis, front page, young athlete injured, but not his faith. What had happened, his mom had came and she came running up to, uh, to him and, and, and he was on a stretcher. They were going to take him to the hospital and she was crying and weeping over him. He looked up on the stretcher and said, Mom, pull yourself together. Remember, God's in control. There was a sports writer for the Indianapolis Star, so they wrote about it. And, and, and then, then his story began to go everywhere. It was on the TV, on the news, and even the women's magazine from uh, Indiana wrote about him. I don't know how that happened. But anyway, it was, it was just going everywhere. And then, and then a, a, a church I went to, predominantly of the light of hue, my pastors of the light of hue, this Christian school he went to, predominantly of the light of hue. The, the, the church that I passed was multicultural, but they all came together and created a fund, the Matt Well Trust Fund. Our church on a Sunday night took up $167,000. Business people created a banquet and took up $100,000. Some people who build homes, construction workers, said, we want to help you. They built us over 3,000 square foot handicapped adopted home on 10 acres of land between what we got from gifts, what we got from the sale of our house, and contractors came in at or below their cost. We moved in debt-free. I'm telling you, amen, I'm telling you. I don't forget that as the grace of God. That was God's people are coming together. I was getting prayers from all around the world and from every ethnic group you can think of and physically disabled people, all of this stuff, everybody came together by the grace of God. And then what I want to say to you today, that took a crisis to bring the people of God together. But the crisis that should bring us together is the crisis of the cross. When Jesus died for our sins, was buried and rose from the dead. We're indwelt by the spirit of God. We have the word of God. We need the love of God to unite ourselves as the people of God, that we might advance the kingdom of God in this world for the glory of God. And when it's all over, we'll step out of here into eternity singing glory. Hallelujah. Grace has triumphed. I want to leave you with prayer. Father, we thank you for Mercy Road Church. We thank you for their heart. God, how I do pray that you might move in their lives. You might strengthen them. You might help them to grow in the love for you and the love one for another. May the Indianapolis community be dumbfounded by a diverse group of people committed to one another in the love of Christ. For that, we'll praise you, thank you, glorify you. God, there's none like you. Help us. Help us, Lord. Deliver us from our pride, our arrogance, and don't let us be instruments of Satan. Help us be instruments of the Spirit of God, demonstrating the love of God for the people of God, for the glory of God. In Christ's name I pray, amen.